Hypertalks. 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 Welcome to the freshest, newest episode of Hypertalks. My name is Hugo Wittorf and I'm your host today. And with me I have my co-host, uh, Caroline Halvarsson. Hi. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Nice, cool. And with me, uh, with us, we also have uh, the head of customer satisfaction on Ticktail, uh, Donna Hanafi. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're very welcome uh, to be a part of this episode. You're you're also our industry leader. That means you're the person responsible for uh, designing our four-week module about data called Driven by Data that we as uh, digital business students at Hyper Island partake in. Yay! Whoa. <laughs> so excited. It's so much fun to be industry leader for this course. I'm going to ask you more about that in uh, just a bit. But first, as in every episode, we're going to check in. Okay. Uh, I have a sort of a, a special check-in question today because if you asked me a year ago, maybe even six months ago, or actually maybe a month ago, what data was, uh, I thought about hard facts, and mathematics, st- statistics, and all that kind of stuff. Me and too. In the room today, we have Donna, who uh, I believe coined the term data with a soul. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's true anymore, but uh, still, in order to contrast uh, what this discussion might be about, I uh, want us to check in with a question. Describe your spiritual age this afternoon by naming only one feeling. My spiritual age by naming only one feeling. I can begin. Okay. My, my spiritual age this afternoon by only naming one feeling is... Confused, second. It's like an equation. <laughs> to like think and like x minus y. Okay. Um, you said confused. Yes, you can say confused as well. No, but it's uh, after that. I would love to say confused. Um, mature. Interesting. Uh, I think I would say warrior. Warrior, wow. But it's not a feeling, but I feel yeah, like a warrior. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure confused is a feeling either, but uh, <laughs> it's a thought process, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I, I want to begin with very broadly uh, asking you, uh, Donna, what is data to you? Uh, data to me is, is very broad. Uh, of course it is, like mathematics and statistics and uh, all those kind of analytical things. But data for me is a way for you to actually make decisions and to take to know which direction to take. It's something for me that makes me... It's easier to sleep at night when you have data. <laughs> because then it, you're not doing things in the dark. Because you have some kind of fact to base things on. And then I would not base everything solely on data a bit of gut i think need to be in the equation but uh, it helps me to uh, know where my gut feeling should go based if i base things on data so it makes it easier to sleep because i know there's something that's fact that's based on my my gut is based on facts so it's sort of a, a security blanket and a flashlight yeah that's a really good way of saying it. Yes. 
So, uh, uh, okay, so I'm starting to, I'm starting to, I'm kind of new with data as well. Uh, Me too. Uh, as mentioned before, hard fact, mathematics and stuff like that. Um, I, I also want to know, uh, you're the head of customer satisfaction mm. at Ticktail, mm. uh, the Swedish uh, e-commerce platform startup Ticktail, uh, based here in Stockholm. We're actually in, in your office recording today. Yeah. Very cool building, cool office, by the way. Uh, What does that mean, Head of Customer Satisfaction? I actually just changed my team's name to Customer Success and Insights. Uh, Okay, so what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Everything I do is very fluffy. Uh, It's always been. I'm a very fluffy person uh, because I do everything and nothing, I guess. Uh, But what it means is that we help provide this company with insights that's more of qualitative more user close with like as you said before i coined i don't know if i coined it but i wanted to at least uh, internally um data with the soul so that people would actually uh, listen more to our customers and what are they actually saying and what are they actually feeling so a bit of it is trying to make the entire organization especially the product teams more user-centric so that we develop things that our users want or that our user needs Uh, and then customer success is my team also helps uh, our customer become successful because we know what they need to have what tools or what information they need to have to become successful one of those things could be onboarding how do we onboard customers so that they are successful what does that mean onboarding a customer that's a term, yeah. Uh, it means when a customer comes in to your product, what is it, the first part that they need to know about the product to become retained, which is becoming a returned visitor and someone that actually likes and uses your product. So you at Ticktail, you, you have platforms for e-commerce, which means that uh, if a person wants to sell something, uh, has a business and want to sell it online, Mm -hmm. you provide a platform for that. So in in this case, uh, you help uh, uh, businesses uh, sell stuff online. That's the onboarding and the retaining process, right? Yes. And uh, just compared with uh, the traditional view, as I understand it, uh, as I've been taught in business school before, of, of... how you do business is you have your product and you promote it and you try to get the customers to want your product via marketing. If I understand it correctly, the way you're, what your department is doing is you're trying to actually adapt your product to what the users or what the customers uh, want and need. Yeah, those who are in the product. Yeah. Because if you do that, it's also one people would uh, throw out the Henry Ford quote all the time about if I would have asked users what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Uh, but one thing why, let's say Henry Ford or Steve Jobs or whatever, they understood that people would say uh, faster horses is the fact that they understood the users. So even though I might not actually build what my user wants exactly, knowing that will help me become more innovative. Knowing that will also help me tell, predict, like, this is what the future, uh, what the user will want to have in the future. Knowing them is, like, the best thing you can do because then you can also predict and see behaviors. And that's how you can become successful in the end. 
Okay, so Henry Ford maybe understood that people wanted to transport faster rather than having faster horses. Yes. Which seems scary, by the way, having even faster horses. I'm not a rider myself. No. <laughs> uh, but how, how do you actually do that? How, how do you help your... How do you figure out what your customer wants? You need a lot, lots of data. <laughs> uh, but... I could say one thing uh, about a tool that I really love, uh, that's Intercom, okay. uh, which is a really good like customer relationship and uh, messaging tool for talking with users online. Uh, one thing that I understood uh, at my previous job when I used that tool was the fact that I could understand why they did not understand our onboarding. I couldn't understand what they wanted. Like when people enter a product, uh, especially if it's a freemium product, you as a product manager or as a marketer or whatever, when you do the onboarding, you think that, okay, now this user understands my tool completely. I'm just going to give them one, two, three, how to use it, and then I'm done. Uh, but what I understood with Intercom and with Intercom giving me the opportunity to actually talk to my customers before the onboarding and during the onboarding was the fact that I could understand that my users, before I give them the one, two, three, even though they've seen the website, uh, needed the aha and the wow and then the aha again before I could do the one, two, three. That was a super good insight. So that's that's how I, I would say like I go about it with understanding how you can do onboarding or how you retain people or whatever. That when you talk to them, that's also why I think qualitative data is so uh, interesting because it gives you so much insights that you don't see when you look only at quantitative data, which is very hyped right now. But qualitative data, that, that's what you would describe as data with a soul. Yes. Which means that uh, it's... Uh you try to understand more the reasons why people act or behave the way they do rather yeah. than just... Qualitative data is more like user testing, interviews, actually trying to, in support, for example, actually trying to make those uh, talks or like cases more quantitative to understand like this person is asking for a feature request. Um, is the R-Demon stage one, which means it's like, I would want this sometime in the future, but I'm happy now, so it doesn't really matter. Or are they in stage five, which could be like, I'm really annoyed that you haven't done this, and if you don't do this, then I'm going to churn. And churn means leave the service. Uh, so you can't really get, you can of course, but it takes quite a while to understand churn signals if you don't look at qualitative data, which means talking to the customers more closely and doing more in-depth analysis than just looking at a bunch. So Intercom, right, was yeah. the tool? How does, is it like live talking to your customers while they're on your site? Yes, you could live talk, but it's also the fact that a customer could uh, type in a message very easily, mm -hmm. and then if they type in their email, they could get my reply through an email later. Okay. So it's both email and live chat. Okay. And it's much, much more. It's also very much about data and stuff. 
it's the most amazing tool. You should all use it. <laughs> I will definitely check it out. Yeah. That seems really interesting. It seems it seems to me that uh, so business is moving towards. But I used to think how sci- like what's the way scientists works? Yeah. When you sort of have to, if you want to prove something scientifically, you have to use data uh, because it needs to be statistically. Uh, Correct in order for you to argue that this this medicine works and uh, uh, or this this is actually how people behave in society and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but like, how did that happen? How did you end up in this position where you can sort of have the understanding of, of what what you should do to figure out what the user needs? Uh, I th- I started off in a very large company, uh, Ericsson. I started as a marketing technologist which was a bit of like Google Analytics, and it, but it was still also pure marketing. And I was super annoyed over the fact that the marketing department had such a bad way of tracking ROI. Return of ROI, return of investment. Yeah. Yes. No worries. Uh, yes. And I am very result-driven. Uh, so I was very annoyed by that and it made me frustrated because then I couldn't really measure my performance Um, a bit yes but not to the extent that I wanted so I couldn't know what we were going to do more of and what we were going to do less of it was very unsophisticated which is like I would say many like traditional marketing departments at large companies why do you think uh, that, that is so or was so uh, I think they're stuck in the old way of doing stuff with like shelf space. That is what you were like looking for before. Shelf space? Uh, which means like you wanted to be seen. So it's, it was more reach uh, rather than being relevant and rather than having the customer doing something actually. So you would like old traditional companies. Uh, you would look at the CMO as the one spending the money and the CFO, they would be like, stop spending money. But they did not really have arguments for why you should stop spending money and why you should spend money. Uh, and I think that's because before, like before the internet and we were so like tech savvy, you could not really know. You could see like, okay, 5,000 people saw this ad or 5,000 people saw this TV ad and it ran for whatever, but the second part of it, measuring the ROI was not so great. Uh, and I think that's because it wasn't possible before. And, but I, it's changing a lot because now you need to have, you need to build arguments based on data. Uh, and with the whole tech world coming in and uh, Ticktail is a startup, uh, our money is from investors. With that, we also need to have arguments that are facts and not our gut. How do you mean it wasn't possible to, to track before? I mean, it wasn't, I guess it was possible, but it wasn't as easy as it is now. Now there's a hundred of tools that makes it super easy for you to understand. Uh, it was possible if you had like, things uh, if you could measure how many people watch this ad on TV and then how much sales did you get but you could not directly correlate exactly with detail 
how it actually went. Because now you can actually follow a user. Uh, uh, you can see if someone clicks on an ad and then actually pur purchases, purchases something. So you have that, that technical capability to actually understand how people uh, behave, yeah. I guess. And me, me as, um, what do you say, like a business, for example, especially in the ad industry, uh, retargeting is something I love, although consumers sometimes might hate it. Uh, but one thing is like, I don't really care how many people saw it. What I care about is how many people actually converted and did what I wanted to do, uh, what I wanted them to do. So like I used I used this tool called AdRoll before, uh, and it was super good because they could also they also a bit of payment was the reach, but the payment was how successful were I, and that's also a shift I see with the digital era, that you as a business your success must align with your customers' success. That's also a thing why I really love working for Ticktail is because our success aligns with our merchant and our customer's success. So if they are successful, we are successful. And that's a thing that's really moving uh, in the industry right now, that you can't be evil in the same way that you used to be before, because everything, your customer value is what's important and what drives your business. Well, that's very interesting. I'm learning a lot, actually. Uh, so, would you say in general that reach isn't isn't important anymore, or as important as it's? It's not as important. Yeah. Uh, relevance over reach, because we now get so bombarded uh, with uh, all ads and whatever, so we don't take it in, uh, and that for me doesn't matter anymore. And I need to have. Me as a business, I really need to see, okay, the reach was 100,000, but only 5,000 did what I wanted. That means it performed badly. So I would rather have reach for 50,000 and have 10,000 do the CTA, sorry, call to action, yeah. uh, that I wanted them to do, because that will make me more successful. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, uh, the way you're saying it, definitely. But how do you increase it? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the relevance? How do you find out the relevance of it? The good thing with data is also you can segment so much. Uh, so you can segment what message you send based on how people behave. And with that, you can also A-B test what different messages works and what doesn't work. So I would say the first step is all, always to get the relevance over reach is to segment and be really good at segmenting. So one thing that's also changing is that people, there's no one size fits all. Sending only newsletters, for example, is, I would say, bad behavior uh, because then you don't know your customers. Because obviously, if you have a large customer base, they are not the same demographics. Uh, they don't use the same, uh, all the same products that you have in your product portfolio or uh, like in your market. Or if they do, they maybe don't use them for the same reasons. Yeah. So you need to like be really good at segmenting your users to understand them. And then you will have a much more success 
when it comes to conversion rate uh, than you will if you send one size fits all in marketing messages. You, t- you talked about your time at uh, Ericsson. Yeah. Uh, was, was this around the time you published? Oh, I, I went into your LinkedIn page and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to figure out what to ask you uh, today. So okay. was this around the time you published uh, a text uh, uh, with a headline, Digital Collaboration Won't Be an Evolution, It's a Revolution? This was, I think, uh, two years ago. That was when I was a Mentimeter. Mentimeter. Yeah. Uh, so wh- what has happened since then? Has it been a revolution? I mean, it's happening. I would say it's uh, businesses are adapting fast and slowly. It depends uh, which business you are in. But if you're not in it, like if you're not in the forefront, it would take a few years and then you're out, I would say, if you don't start to adapt to the digital transformation that's happening. Uh, one, one thing with Ericsson uh, was the fact that I published a thesis right at the time when I started at Ericsson. I presented that thesis to Ericsson, that's why I started there, which was regarding what place the iPad would have in people's lives uh, versus the smartphone and the laptop. And I still get, it was like f- five years ago or four you were in tech school, you were in KTH. Yeah, yeah. I, studied, uh, I studied at KTH. Uh, and one thing that's really interesting is the fact that it's still accurate, that the iPad is something where you still use to play with, and the laptop, if you do stuff, it's for productive reasons. So we call the iPad for fun's sake or something, I don't remember. Our thesis was called that. Because when you go to the smartphone or use it, uh, or the iPad, it's because you want to entertain yourself. And when you use the laptop, it's because you want to do something productive. And that's still accurate, yet today. It is for me at least. I use uh, Netflix and stuff like that, mostly on my iPad. Um, For like to connect with your TV? Uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, that's what I use the iPad for. Actually, it's not my iPad, it's my girlfriend's. But uh, I, I borrow it too. Yeah, he uses hmm. it yeah. as well. <laughs> it's getting better at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's very true for me, at least. I, I use uh, the iPad only for entertainment. And uh, my laptop basically only for, for work stuff. It's the same for me. Hmm. Yeah. So I validate that thesis. <laughs> Although I would say I use my email quite a lot on my phone but I wouldn't say I'm productive when I'm answering emails no that, that's that's a different uh, topic that we could go into depth about <laughs> <laughs> emails takes too much time for, for me for my sake but um, in, in this text you wrote a couple of years ago you said uh, you said three of the main problems with companies uh, at that time was that the top managements are too far away from real problems and uh, companies are unable to combine long-term strategy with the quick wins. And employees don't listen to von Auben instructions if they don't believe in it anymore. Would you say that those things are still true? Yeah, I don't remember what I wrote in that <laughs> article. But uh, yes, I would say it's still true. But it depends on what organization you're in. I would say you can't really do that if you're in working in a startup environment, then you're pretty much screwed. Uh, like one of our values here at Ticktail is the one closest to the problem should solve it. Uh, and I would say like at, that article was more towards big corporations yeah. because the company I worked for then 
was more uh, our customer base was more big corporations and ent- uh, enterprises and that was a problem we saw with them not adapting to the digital transformation it almost sounded before like uh, like you said that uh, companies that aren't adapting to digital transformation it will take them a couple of years and if they don't they might disappear so yeah. it's almost like we're on the edge of sorts would you say that that's true yeah definitely do you, but do you think because this i find really interesting the companies that are like in the old era or mm-hmm. needs to they need to take that step do you see that they can you know what i mean because they have so many processes and so many routines and so many you know old ways and there's a saying you don't teach old dogs how to sit yeah like would that be possible or, or should you teach them? Or should you teach yeah. them? Like, because I'm thinking, like, would it take too long? Would it be too much of a process? Or like, uh, I would say, now I sound like a startup fanatic that thinks that startups are really great, which <laughs> I do in a sense. But one thing that's really good with large corporation is the fact that they have structures and processes, and they have handled change before. It's not something new. However, they need to do it quicker. Uh, I think they can, but in order to do it, you will also in some sort, especially top management, will lose power. Mm. And you need to be okay with losing power uh, a bit. And I think they can, but I'm not sure that they 100% want to do it. Because much... I would say with Ericsson, it's a it's a great company. I think the best thing with me being in startups now is the fact that I learned a bit about structure and how sh- uh, things work and processes and all of those things. And I could take the good thing from working at large corporations and apply them in smaller corporations who don't have that much structure and processes because you could actually benefit from having a bit of structure in some cases. Um so I would I would say they can, but they need to be. It's the same with like gender equality. You need to be okay with giving away power, yeah. which is what I think is the problem. They're not one hundred percent okay yet with giving away power, mm. because it needs to go much deeper down to the people who actually are closer to the problems for them trust them to solve the problems, and that I'm not sure that every large corporation has comfortable in doing yeah yeah we, we of course have, um, have seen some examples of companies that just did disappear like a, a kodak is the maybe mo- most famous example they were the world leading uh, uh company within f- f- photography i guess and they they're done they're, they don't even exist anymore uh, because uh, people at least this is how i have heard it described they didn't adapt at all mm. to uh, the digital era I guess so. Maybe maybe a couple of those companies will need to disappear in order for other companies to move a bit faster. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Slack, I know that you guys also use it internally. Uh, the growth that yeah. company has seen the last couple of years is insane, and the growth many like small companies sees. I mean, even Ticktail in a couple of years is. I mean. There are small underdogs that are much stronger because, and they also have an advantage because they are the underdogs that can remove all those big guys. 
Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to follow, I must say. There's a lot of in- industries that, uh, I mean, there's gonna stuff is going to happen. Yeah. Like I, I'm a music fanatic, and I know that the music industry uh, did go through a major change. It was 10 years ago, maybe. MySpace. <laughs> MySpace and record companies, uh, people didn't buy CDs anymore. Some, somehow, I mean, CDs was relevant for, what, 15 years, 20 years? It's not that long, but somehow it seemed like the industry expected that to be the norm for way longer yeah. Yeah. than it was. So uh, I would expect that the major companies within the record record uh, industry is better prepared for another change, but some companies in other industries might, might not be. Mm. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what's going to happen to the car industry, for instance. If self-driving cars becomes the norm, are they ready to adapt? Yeah. I, th- I think also that businesses have started to become smarter because I also think it has to do with like a generation shift of the people that actually work yeah so I think large corporations are also very smart in taking in new blood into the companies because they realize that this is happening Mm. so we actually need to acquire people that has the knowledge on how to handle that yeah so that I think is one of the ways that companies work today, uh, even like we just at Hyper, we have these cross program challenges where there's uh, big companies coming. And that is, for me at least, the proof that some large corporations are really trying to adapt by like inviting younger tech innovators to come and like talk to them. Yeah. To give them suggestions of how should we do it because we see this shift. Yeah. And that's giving the power to you guys. Yeah. I would say one of the companies that I really admire that did a thing with you uh, is Volvo. They they are really adapting, I think, especially with their messaging and how they approach problems that I think uh, they're super good. Right way to go if you yeah. want to be able to stay agile and adaptive. You need to invite. And I think companies are are getting smarter at that. Yeah. yeah, I was impressed as well because some of the people that worked for Volvo that uh, talked to us, gave us lectures, they didn't seem to live in the past at least. I'm not sure, uh, I don't know if that goes for the entire company or just the marketing and development departments, but it's but it's, uh, it seemed like they were ahead at least. Some in their mindset. Company, in their mindset, but yeah. uh, whether that will, whether they can actually transform the company, that will be interesting to see. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned before that you worked uh, a while for a smaller company, and that's Mentimeter, right? Yes. And uh, you were the CMO of, of this company for a couple of years. Tell us about that experience. Well, uh, that experience was quite a ride. I learned so much during that phase. Uh, I started pre-seed, which means I started before we had any investments. Uh, Tough. Yeah, it was pretty pretty early, but it was so exciting because everything could change one day to the other um what where should i start it so much Uh, how does it work you have an idea and you're how do you how do you i mean they started off with an with an idea and they had revenue when i joined uh, a bit at least Uh, and they had proved themselves a little bit so that we could get the seed investment uh, and then 
it was just like, okay, how are we going to do this? Uh, I had a growth as well because I wanted to be close to product. And that means I worked a lot. That's the data part of me. Uh, I worked very much with data and trying to understand the quantitative side of it. Very much close to Mixpanel, uh, which is a tool that you can use to understand users. And also in like investments, how do you get investment? What arguments do you need to have in order for people to give you money? Uh, and how do you build a team from scratch without having any type of of structure whatsoever uh, and we changed the structure like 150 times all from what we worked with or how we worked uh, with things and then we also grew quite quickly both in like new users and employers sorry employees uh, new hires and all that stuff so it was a bit of like everything and nothing and the hardest part, I think, for me was before at my larger corporations, I had money, mm. which means if I wanted to do something, I could pay someone to fix that for me uh, and I could hold like a strategic level. I could be the one coming in with ideas and then I could have higher consultants or something to actually do the things and execute it. Uh, and now and what I wanted, why I wanted to join a startup was the fact that I needed to go high and low. I needed to be strategic. And then the other second, I needed to go down and code HTML emails. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very much high and low. Uh, I, and that was a mind switch uh, that you needed to do daily, like several times per hour, which was uh, both very learning, but it was also... Uh, a challenge because you needed to hold a long-term view and look long-term and also look short-term and being going up and forward within the elevator is it's very hard um, but it's something I learned to to do and that I'm really grateful for uh, at Mentimeter and when I decided to leave they had just entered 500 startups uh, it's called like uh, program, which they are going uh, right now in San Francisco. So it's going pretty well for them. And I'm still a bit active, which is very interesting to follow their journey. When it's something like, especially when you've been there from it only being a white paper. And now seeing that they make like four, I think they made four million Swedish crowns last year which is super good since they're very small um, and that's so interesting and learning to be part of that journey I think I never I would never have learned so much so quickly at another company at another stage so how quick was it like how, how from the white paper when you joined to mm. them being in San Francisco um, is, it, is it a decade? It sounds like it should be. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it should be a decade. But I mean, I don't know the exact number of users that they have now, but they grew about 15 to 20% each month when I was working there. And then we had revenue growing fast as well, although we had not much focus on revenue. 
which was also very nice to see because when we were going to start focusing on gaining revenue, we have a, they had a lot of quick wins that they now can implement. Because that's kind of common within startups that you either focus on growing the amount of users or, or you focus on growing the revenue. Yeah, but right now uh, as the like investment, uh, what do you say, like industry or area or something, it's hardening a bit yeah. and you can't only go for like new free users anymore. You need to show that you have a business model and you need to show that you can actually grow revenue which I think is great because it's the only way to sustain yourself. It's sustainable. It's not sustainable to just have a hundred million zillion users and no one is willing to pay. So I think that revenue focus is pretty good, actually. What do you think was the thought behind that? Because when the startup scene really like bloomed or blossomed. Like, yeah. A lot of uh, startups, my perception is that they focus a lot of, on users. Yeah. And how, why is that? Why did they focus on users and not revenue as well? Because the investors, I guess, wanted to multiple their investment. And then if they could see an early growth, they thought they just need to find a business model to apply this on. And then their money would multiple or quadruple or something so the idea is that you, if you have tons of users then you can find a way to make money off of them after a couple of years i just don't see, in my head that does not i had this conversation today in the lunchroom at hyper i'm like i in my head i just can't really see that how because if you have users you kind of build trust and all of a sudden you're going to make money out of all these users like for me if i had a product or service that I used and I really liked it and all of a sudden like I know this big fuss for example like Instagram when they're gonna have ads hmm. it was this big thing you know and it's uh, I get it because it's more of an organic thing it's not just like in your face ads hmm. but um I don't know I, I found it a bit I find that I thought I wasn't gonna be uh, disturbed by the Instagram ads but uh, they're so bad <laughs> uh, they're horrible. Well, I mean, they're they're not uh, targeted towards me. I feel, uh, in a way, in as good as they should be. As much knowledge Facebook and Instagram has about me, they Do should you get, feel offended. Uh, they should know that I don't drive a car, uh, even though I have a license. And they should have known that uh, I watch the Super Bowl every year. So they could have put in an ad about where to watch the Super Bowl. But it didn't because they're they're not doing it good enough. And it's also the feed is curated by me. Facebook, I have all these like friends from high school and stuff like that. It's true. Like I see stuff that I doesn't really. I mean, it's not. It's not. I didn't choose it kind of the yeah. same way as I did with Instagram. Yeah, so but that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like you have all these users, you build trust, they like your service, and all, all of a sudden they change the concept because obviously you have to make money, which is understandable. You should really interview an investor or a VC. Uh, try to book Kriando. I think they would have really interesting of like really explaining how it works because I was I was pretty amazed when I started like trying to raise money at my last company to actually understand how it actually worked. Yeah. Uh, and that's so interesting. We should definitely do that because I'm still a bit confused. When I mean, you yeah, talked about I'm still confused. So <laughs> <laughs> that's my spiritual age confused. I'm allowed to be at least. 
And I'm uh, sure. <laughs> asking all the questions like, how do you make money? <laughs> I sound like my mom. <laughs> but the way you described how Mentimeter grew, fast growth backed by investors rather than, uh, uh, even though you had revenue, you didn't grow like organically. You didn't save up money and invested, invested it and, and took the growth. So you did, the, the idea was to bring in uh, uh, lots of investors to grow quickly. Right, that's... Partly, but yeah. then after a while, because also when you take in investors, you give them ownership of your company, yeah. which means you give them power. Yeah. So we had an advantage that we could actually choose. Do we want to grow quicker, faster with money or because we could handle our growth and our like salaries by our own revenue? So we mostly focused more on like how can we get knowledge that's why they applied to 500 startups because then they could get more knowledge about how to run a company and how to drive growth rather than we need money to survive they are not in that mode which is super great because they are not uh, dependent whether they get money from an external part they are more dependent on getting revenue from their users which they are getting yeah, that sounds like a good position to be in if you want to start a business. Sweet spot. The yeah. sweet spot, definitely. Especially now. Yeah. Especially in this time. Why especially now? Since yeah, investors, if you want to raise money, now they want to see that you have a business model. It makes... It's much more important now that you make money than it was like a year ago or eight months ago, I would say. Why do you think that is? Because... Uh, it was money going out to everyone <laughs> before and people have been talking about a tech bubble. I don't know if that's true. That's a whole different like subject, but it was a bit. I mean, how you grew your company before was not sustainable, I would say, because you could survive for so many years only with the fact that you grew and none of your uh, users actually had to pay. And when... Some people also try to get revenue from their users, but failed. And now I see a clear decline in how they still can get money from investors. They can't. It's much harder now. You really need to find a way to grow your company with revenue yourself to become a legit company. Besides being the head of customer success and insights, you're mm-hmm. also uh, the head of the board for the steering committee for the digital data strategist program at Hyper Island, and you're also the industry leader for uh, our program, Digital Business, our module driven by data. Yeah. What is the, like, what is the most important thing you think that uh, we should learn after after this course? Yeah. That's also one thing that I really love with Hyper Island and working with Hyper Island, uh, especially me coming from like academic point and KDH and theoretical background, is that uh, you get a reality check. You understand how it works in the reality uh, and you understand it quite quickly. It's a short amount of time and you get a feeling for how it works in reality quite quick. And that's one thing that I really wanted you guys to learn. That's why I, you all had to choose uh, departments and understand how they worked with data and understand the challenges and opportunities with that. And I don't really want you to solve any problems. 
I just want you to understand how it works in real life and see the opportunities that data can provide, but also the challenges. Because since it's pretty new, people don't really know how to use it. And uh, people are quite confused, but there's so much things that you could do if you are data-driven in your work. And it doesn't matter which department it is, because it's cross-departments and it's everywhere. And you need to get some kind of insight of how you could work with data when you go out in real life. And then that's for you guys. And then the digital data strategists, they're going to work with it hardcore. So that's a different challenge. Uh, wow. What, what, what would you say is the most important thing for the industry to learn from data? How to collaborate with the same data. Uh, like m- my personal uh, area is like marketing and product with a very strong focus on user and providing users with value. And for marketing and product to understand how they can work together with data. How, how departments can work together with the same data to learn from each other and to also become closer to each other because they share the same data so that they can work better with coming towards their goals and achieving their goals. So I would say all corporations or startups or businesses should learn more about how data can be approached and used for bringing departments together and for bringing departments to actually work more closely together because that would also make you get closer to your goal faster, I think. I see it as like detective work and seeing patterns. That's true. Yeah, that sounds cooler as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now that we're looking at it in our module, I'm like, we have to see patterns and how they all like go together. And like being like digging deep and trying to like read out what's like, what's important Mm -hmm. also. Something I've learned (laughs) from this uh, module. I was quite surprised actually that you guys were giving a given data from some of the companies that you were uh, working with, but that's super great. <laughs> I did not expect it since it's a very uh, business secret often, but you are good at signing NDAs, so <laughs> that we are, of course. Yeah. We don't we don't spill our beans. NDAs. Well, yes. Yeah, okay, that's the wrong expression. Maybe, yeah. No, that's right, I think. Yeah, okay. But an NDA, our class is really good, and it's a non-disclosure agreement, agreement, which yeah. is that we keep our mouth shut, pretty much. Yeah, regarding what you're seeing and provided with. But I have a question that's, um, we talked about, like, it, like the business revenue models. Now the startup needs to kind of have that. Mm-hmm. Um like with Instagram, we talked about. So what are the like the challenges? Because we're talking about this tech bubble and all the shifts and changes. I kind of see that what happens, or it might happen with data as well. Because now a lot of it is about like big data and trying to know your users. And then now you see through all these like, oh, they just want to get the information off me. They just want me to sign up on this. So they... You know? The ethical parts. Yeah, the ethical parts about data as well. Yeah. 
Like, do you see that as like, how do you see that in the future? Is it going to be something that hinders data and how our users are, when they're getting more aware of what's going on and why you guys are collecting you guys or like the people working with data, Yeah. why they are doing it, even though it could be for a good thing. It's more like people are very private. Like yeah. sometimes I don't sign up to a bunch of shit because I'm like, I don't want you guys to get my data. Yeah. It's it's definitely a challenge, especially because it, it depends so much about how we as companies approach this. We need to become better at explaining what data we're collecting and also it needs to be easier to understand. But there's laws coming in and if you don't follow them, you're screwed. Uh, data laws, especially in Europe. Uh, so we need to become better at saying why we're using the data and how we're using the data. Because one thing that I think people are afraid of, especially when it's like collecting your data, is the fact that I'm afraid that someone will look at my emails or look at my conversations that I have with my friends or something else that I find very private. And when you look at data, you don't usually go in that deep. I mean, the, I we don't at least. Um, and you need to explain exactly what you're collecting and why and in a much easier way because it needs to be understandable instead of just a hundred page terms and condition and no one reads them. And then you become pissed off because no one has told you that they're actually collecting pictures from your phone and you didn't know mm. that. I think it's uh, you, it sets more stress on the companies that they have to work more with actually trying to communicate how they're working with data. But I think in the end, if companies are smart, then they will be proactive with that before they get kicked out and can and get uh, users that are angry. I, th- I also think that um, it needs to come from the, from the companies or from legislation. I mean, I, I'm a bit aware. I'm, I'm not completely lost or naive regarding what data is collected from my phone and from my life. But it still seems like a, such a big mountain to climb over if I wanted to sort of figure out what I'm okay with from which service. Like, what am I okay with Facebook doing? Uh, what am I okay with? The... It's it's too much. It's it's not accessible enough, and I think it's too. Uh, the burden shouldn't be on my plate almost as a user. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah, that would that would be something for the industry, for companies, and for legislations to figure out somehow. Definitely. I'll, I'll, that's my point of view, as my opinion, at least. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We will have to adapt, whether we want it or not. Yeah, I at least in Europe. Yeah, I believe so as well. Definitely. Yeah, I'm just yeah. It's the same. It's just. I'm the same. I think it should be from the industry because otherwise, like, users like me, for example, are just going to get annoyed eventually, maybe. And then you'll switch service. And then you'll switch service unless it, you know that this is, like, I don't know, it comes from the company and it's a fair thing, you know. Yeah. But like with Facebook, so it's almost like you're either, you're either on Facebook or you, you uh, I guess you have to just move out to the forest or something. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost not a choice anymore. To be on Facebook or to be on use using smartphone even. 
Yeah, but it annoys me with these cookies, for example. You mm. need to like press the cookies, otherwise you can't look at the page. So it's that for me is very much like push marketing still. That but the, the cookies, yeah, and that's a law. It you is a law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to have people accept it. That's why. Yeah, but they do it the way they're doing it. It's yeah. like, I have to accept it. Yeah. Otherwise, like you said, I have to move out to the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about time to wrap up because we've been here about an hour and I'm, I'm still very curious about a lot of things with data. And, and, and that's my key learning for myself, I think, that uh, being curious takes me longer than actually pounding, pounding spreadsheet often, just asking the right people the right questions. Yeah. I remember when uh, Johanna asked me if I wanted to do this course. She also said that you guys, she had asked in the beginning which course you were most afraid of and that it was this course. <laughs> but I think you guys uh, don't think that anymore. <laughs> I don't. As mentioned, I thought it was just mathematics and statistics. And it is uh, partly, but it's also more accessible than I thought it, thought it would be. Good. I'm more curious too. Yeah. I'm stoked about data. Mostly because I see it as like detective work and I'm like seeing patterns. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, my, my work experience is more working on gut feeling, which worked fine, I guess. But it's, uh, uh, I would want that security blanket and that flashlight to, to sort of back up my, my decisions as well. That I'm sure of at this point. You get such a reward working with data. I think that's what it is. Yeah, now I can tell someone what I think and I can back it up. Yeah, yeah, you can A-B test. And yeah. that's the exactly. best things that happened to me in my life. A-B testing things. So let's check out with... Uh, what are you going to do this afternoon? I have meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I have meetings this afternoon and uh, then I'm going to prepare for poker night at the office tomorrow. Wow. Sounds very fun. Yeah. Prepare for poker night. I'm in a like female boss network <laughs> where you play poker with other female bosses. And I was there like a month ago. It's super fun. I never played poker before that. And then I told a few friends here at the Ticktail and they were like, we need to do this at the office as well. And we're doing it tomorrow. Only females. Yes. This is like the most boss thing I've ever heard about. Yeah. <laughs> Girls run the world. That, that, yeah, <laughs> of course. That is true. Of soon. Not yet true, but soon. Or hopefully equal at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pick, pick up my son and then I'm going to make some hot sauce. Check out. This afternoon I will probably just go home and make dinner. And... Uh, Edit some podcasts. <laughs> Fun. Yes, yes. Do some editing. And you guys, the presentation is on Thursday. Yes, that's two days from now. Yeah. It I is. might have to go back to school and work on that too. Yeah, I might have to do something as well. Yeah. Check uh, out. Where can, if any listener want to uh, contact you in any way, how, how can they find you? They can find me on Twitter. And my handle name is Donna Hanafi. And I'm very easy to find. I'm the only one. With that name? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very reachable. Yeah. Okay, so go follow Donna Hanafi for more insights and more knowledge about uh, data and life and business, I guess. Do you want to leave us with uh, anything else you want to add? 
if it's for like students or younger people, then I would say uh, go with your gut, (laughs) (laughs) especially when it comes to work life. Go with your gut and go with what makes you happy and that will make you successful. That's good advice, I think. Thank you for joining us, Donna. Thank you for having me. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye. Bye. Hypertalks. 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 Hypertalks.